1: This is The Other Side of Midnight. On this day in 1887, the first Groundhog Day was celebrated. Good morrow, everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. On this day in 1887, the first Groundhog Day was celebrated. Good morrow, everybody. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. It was on this day in 1887 when the first Groundhog Day was celebrated. All right, um, just having a little Groundhog Day uh, fun. Uh, Obviously, today is Groundhog Day, February 2nd. And uh, this is a big day. It's a big day for people that pay attention to the weather. It's also a big day for anybody that um, is a cinephile and a fan of one of the great comedy films of all time, Groundhog Day, which is now 31 years old. Can you believe it? It's 31 years old. I actually remember seeing it 31 years ago in theaters. And it was... Terrific. I loved it then. I enjoyed it immensely then. And I still enjoy it whenever it's on. My wife makes a point of watching it uh, every Groundhog Day. And one of the things that they've done, uh, which I think is uh, very clever, because it's going to be there are a bunch of channels that are airing it today, is Frito-Lay, the chip brand, will air a series of commercials today to celebrate the film And they have bought a whole bunch of ads that are going to uh, to air as basically an ad takeover on ABC. That's ABC television, no affiliation with uh, WABC in New York, the radio station that I'm on. I don't know what it is about that picture that makes it so special. Because is it funny? Yes, absolutely it's funny. I mean, um, Bill Murray is just an absolute comedic genius, and he has a sense of timing that is uh, absolutely without peer.
2: What was that again?
3: I'm a god. You're a god. I'm a god. I'm not the god. I don't think.
2: Because you survived a car wreck? You folks ready to order?
3: I didn't just survive a wreck. I wasn't just blown up yesterday. I have been stabbed, shot, poisoned, frozen, hung, electrocuted, and burned. Oh, really? And every morning I wake up without a scratch on me, not a dent in the fender. I am an immortal.
1: Special today is blueberry waffles. Three years ago today, we were doing this show, and I was working with two people that had never seen the film Groundhog Day. Can you believe it? Thankfully, both of them are gone, and uh, we have replaced them with better personnel. You've both seen it, right? Yes, okay. I've seen Thank it. <laughs> and uh, even you've seen this, right, Matt Place? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and d- did you see it in theaters? No, I did not. Okay, so I remember seeing it in theaters, and I'm not going to, because I know there are people in the audience that have never seen the film, and today is a golden opportunity to see it. If you've not seen the film ever, I almost envy you because you're in for such a treat, and it's going to be on 9,000 places today. You don't have to worry about it not being on streaming or not being on uh, your DVD service or whatever the case may be. But, uh, you know, I, I am a big fan of pro wrestling. And uh, I'm not going to give away any part of the plot in in the film because it does have its twists and turns, but there was one portion—I'm watching this in theaters 31 years ago—where I clapped in the theater, and that's where a couple is getting married, and their gift— from one of the characters in the film is tickets to WrestleMania. And I thought that was so cool that they mentioned WrestleMania in a major Hollywood motion picture because back then, they really didn't do that. Uh, Wrestling was considered—this was before The Rock was a big star. This was before, um, you know, the WWE was airing on Netflix. Back then— the only movies that would ever mention wrestling were wrestling movies, like No Holds Barred or things of that nature, which for the most part weren't very good. But it was so cool to have a real wrestling reference in a mainstream movie. So in thinking about this picture, which I've done a lot of today, I was trying to think of what it is that makes it so special. It's a lot, about a lot more than being funny. What I think makes it so special, I think maybe only someone like Bill Murray can pull this off, is it is a morality play. It does show the virtues of morality, but it doesn't hit you over the head with it. It doesn't feel like an after-school special saying, don't do drugs and you're going to be just fine. No, it's, it's morality the way real people act. Also, um, you know, themes about forgiveness and meaning and kind of the supernatural nature of the the time loop that they're stuck in. Really before that, I'm sure there were other films that did deal with a time loop, but they were pretty rare. They were pretty rare. These days there have been many more, I think in part inspired by Groundhog Day. There was a film that came out uh, I think 3 or 4 years ago that I just loved. Uh, it was called Palm Springs, which had a kind of a similar story, which I I don't know that it was as good as Groundhog Day, because people are going to be watching Groundhog Day 30, 40, 50, 60 years from now. I'm not sure that's going to be said of Palm Springs. My one problem with Palm Springs, which I did enjoy, I thought it was a great picture. My one problem with uh, Palm Springs was that there was no homage to Groundhog Day. I thought they were going to give a little tip of the hat to Groundhog Day as a little Easter egg or as a little throwaway line or something. They didn't do anything. I thought it would have been a nice tribute for, you know, because we all stand on the shoulders of those that came before us, just like Ned Ryerson. Phil?
3: Hey, Phil? Phil? Phil Connors? Phil Connors, I thought that was you. Hi, how you doing? Thanks for watching. Hey, hey. Now, don't you tell me you don't remember me, because I sure as heck fire remember you. Not a chance.
4: (laughs) Ned! Ryerson! needle Needle-nose Ned, Ned the head. Come on, buddy, Case Western High. Ned Ryerson, I did the whistling belly button trick at the high school talent show. Bing! Ned Ryerson got the shingles real bad senior year, almost didn't graduate. Bing! Again, Ned Ryerson, I dated your sister Mary Pat a couple times till you told me not to
0: anymore. Well?
3: Ned Ryerson? Bang! bing.
1: <laughs> bing. <laughs> There's one line that Phil Connors has when he's trying to get out of this town that he hates that I, I use all the time, but I use it tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, Some people really do think I'm as egotistical as I come across on the radio, and the truth is I'm not that delusional, but I sometimes like to act like I am that egotistical. And there's, there's this one scene where he's trying to get out of town, and he says, don't you have some sort of special line for celebrities or emergencies? And you only hear his end of the conversation, but he says, well, I'm both. I'm a celebrity in an emergency. So I thought that was funny. You know, one of my great regrets is... Um, I never saw the musical on Broadway Groundhog Day, which I guess wasn't that good because it was in and out. But everything I read about it sounded great. And a couple of years ago, uh, before we had very stringent music requirements... I played a lot of the songs from that musical, and I think the music was great. I don't know if anybody actually ever saw that play, that musical, but uh, I'm sorry that I never got to. I'm not going to let the same thing happen with uh, with Back to the Future, which I think has a lot of the same themes. All right. 800-848-9222. We have covered a lot of ground today. Uh, Whatever you want to comment on, be my guest. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to the original Rick in original Jersey. Hi.
5: Yes. Good morning, the Frankster. Good morning, sir. Hi. About the uh, indigenous thing where they, they want permission now and all that, I think it's counterintuitive to what they've been trying to do all the while. You know, I've heard so many times, we're the forgotten Americans, nobody knows our culture, and all that. And now they insist you have to have permission to tell people about their culture. And it's like, it, it, it reminds me of women that wear very sexy outfits and then go out in public and berate the guys that actually notice that they're wearing something sexy. <clears throat> you know, yeah, what, what?
1: yeah I, I see what you mean. Um, but I think this is even more complicated than that because you're dealing with aspects of m- mythology and superstition being taken into account. I mean, to me, that brings it to a whole nother level of absurdity.
5: Yeah, yeah. The mask might uh, uh, hurt people if they walk by it. Or, right. You know, I, mean, I, you know.
1: I mean, come on. Either these are serious educational institutions or they're not.
5: Right. I, I agree. I agree. So I just I'd chime in on that. And also, can I chime in about what irritates you about supermarkets? Yeah, please. Okay. In my supermarket, they ha- the checkers seem to have a problem with bagging. They don't want to bag anymore. And it's like, I'm already taking the food to the counter, which in the old days, I remember you'd tell the guy, I want a pound of bacon, I want a box of cereal, and they would get it and bring it there. But So, I'm bringing the food there. I'm paying with a credit card on the machine. They're not even swiping that carbon copy thing back and forth. And now they don't want to it bag. It's basically, well, what is this? It, it, it's basically not any different than self-checkout. I mean, yeah, all but, they want to do is just push the thing past the scanner. And it's like, I don't know how to bag. I always ruin my bread. I always, I, And I don't get paid by the store to do that. Please, just bag it. The, all they got to do is push the thing past and bag it. And now I they don't you. want to bag. I you hear know?
1: you, Rick. You know, I always misjudge the, you know, we have our own grocery bags and i always misjudge the number of bags that i should have for the number of items that i'm purchasing so i always think oh you know two bags should do it and sure enough i should have brought four or i think oh i'm going to learn my lesson this time i'm going to bring four bags and two would have done it you know so i always get uh, i always get a little a little screwed up in terms of estimating the amount of bags necessary 808489222 hey you know it's funny um, I don't watch a lot of television, but one show that I always make sure to watch is uh, Smirkanish on CNN every Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern. It's the only show on cable news since Tucker Carlson left that I really enjoy. And it's the only show that I find even a little bit different. So a lot of times on Saturday morning, if I'm up, then my son will want to watch television. And you know we don't try to we don't let him watch too much television, but you know we give him we give him a half hour maybe a day. And on Saturday mornings, if he tries to watch television between nine and ten a.m. Eastern, I say absolutely not, Carmine. We are watching Smirkanish. So last night uh, we had Jeopardy on, and I guess Carmine was unimpressed with Jeopardy. So he said, "Let's." It, it, he had an idea for what we should watch and he kept saying let's watch Smirconish so I kept uh, I I started recording him and then as soon as he saw that he was getting extra attention for that then he decided to pivot towards a show that he would want to watch more than Smirconish and started asking for uh, Daniel Tiger but he had to stick with uh, with Jeopardy anyway but sure enough he did specifically ask for Smirconish
6: Smirconish Uh, Smirconish Mommy, what do you want to watch?
1: I'm See, he switched from Smirconish to Daniel Tiger after he saw that we were we were thinking of taking his suggestion seriously.
6: Mommy. <laughs> what do you want to
3: watch? I'm <laughs> watching Daniel Tiger. That's Daniel Tiger.
1: What's Daniel Tiger? Daniel What about Smirconish? Smurkarnish. What's What's Clearly, whatever Smirconish is doing to get those younger demos, it's working. Although, you know, I think if uh, if Daniel Tiger had a show on cable news, that might even be more popular with the two year olds.
2: Smurkarnish. <laughs> Apple truck.
1: Then he got distracted with an Apple truck. All right, 800-848-9222. Pamela is in New Jersey. Hi, Pamela.
2: Hi. the, The overall terrifying point of the museum issue is that dictatorial regimes always start out with changing culture and history and erasure of culture. And like Rick said, this could backfire. Because you you start letting people without scientific knowledge um, and and facts can change or people will lose interest in it. They'll say, "Well, you know, the government took that away. well, then I'm not interested in it anymore." And then with having said that, I know as a, as a teenager, there was the big thing in um, with the Egyptian um, viewing at the museum, and um, I, I can remember as a kid saying to my parents, "You know I, I really." think that's kind of terrible taking mummies out of their burial place and putting them on display it's kind of you know horrifying and uh, i know the elephant man was taken out of uh, the english museum oh was that
1: right i didn't know that
2: yeah yeah and you know i can see that point too but i do not my major point here is i do not believe the federal government should be closing down and changing culture. No, this is insane. I mean, this is just
1: insane, Pamela. I mean, it's crazy. As you seem to indicate, I can understand where people are coming from when it comes to repatriation of human remains. Although, in our last conversation, the last time Elizabeth Weiss was here, she won me over on that front also. But uh, I see absolutely no justification for this. You know what this is going to lead to? This is going to lead to people, as I think Rick said, being less informed about what's going on. This is going to lead to people being dumber about American Indian culture. Hey, you know, one of the three dozen newsletters that I read every day was something called The Messenger and they were trying to be a, um, basically a an all a, a new news publication, and it was started by um, Jimmy Finkelstein, who was the son of Jerry Finkelstein. His brother Andrew Stein has been a guest on this show, and they were only open for eight months. And yesterday, they announced that they were closing effective immediately. And they hired a lot of great journalists. And I enjoyed getting their newsletter, actually. I'm sorry to see them go. But uh, this was a, um, one of the most spectacular media failures in history. In history. They burned through $50 million in eight months. So the Messenger officially shut down yesterday. And look, media business is having a very tough time in general, with the exception of independent media, for reasons that we've chronicled. But this is wild. They shut down yesterday, ending weeks of speculation about their future and putting a whole bunch of very talented journalists out of work. And this caps off what has been one of the most grim months for the business of journalism in recent memory so in announcing the news the uh, founder jimmy finkelstein said the shutdown was effective immediately telling staff that the decision was truly the last thing i wanted and i am deeply sorry and the cutoff was swift by the evening the messenger's website was inaccessible leaving staff with no digital footprint of their work for the publication you think about that I mean, if you're a reporter and you uh, have worked hard at this venture for the last eight months, now, obviously, working there, I think you have to know any sort of a startup, especially in the media business, is, you know, it's a long shot. So you probably are working there with an appreciation of how difficult that's going to be. But to work hard on all these stories and then to just have no digital footprint of the work that you did, I feel really bad for these journalists. And several sources told the Daily Beast that in the immediate moments after the news was reported by the New York Times, employees still had not been informed that the messenger was shutting down. Can you imagine that a news outlet is reporting that they're shutting down and they still haven't been told. You know, I've been in that situation. I was producing a radio show that was replaced by Imus in the Morning, and the newspapers were all reporting that effective December 7th, Imus in the Morning was taking over the show that I was producing. And we were being guaranteed by the radio station that we worked for at the time that, oh no, that wasn't happening, that wasn't happening. I mean, and clearly they were just totally lying to us. But to read about something in the news before you're even told about it by your employer, it's just so insulting and demeaning. Really, it really is. So uh, over eight painful and humiliating months... The Messenger spent around $43 million, generated a mere $3 million in annual revenue, and by the end of 2023 had less than a million dollars in cash on hand. Needless to say, this was well short of the necessary cash to sustain its $5 million a month burn rate. So by closing less than a year after it launched, the Messenger is now being considered one of the biggest busts in the annals of online news. And they say that its collapse is the most substantial blow in recent months to the news industry, which is reeling from this series of cutbacks. It's going to be very interesting to see where things go from here. 800-848-9222. 800 Doug is in Cranford. What's on your mind, Doug?
3: Hey, good morning, Frank. Um, great show, as always. Thank um, you. So, but unfortunately, you just don't get it. Um, the, the, these people are all-knowing. Uh, they understand that we just can't handle the truth, that uh, we ha- they have to protect us from ourselves because we're flawed human beings. So we, we, we can't see Native American in their natural habitat. You know, we thought it was going to end with uh, Teddy leaving the steps. Uh-uh and you know it it just makes me so sad because yeah you have um, all this culture built into our society and what are they trying to do expunge everything i mean i was just up at uh telling your screener at uh, watchung reservation here in union county i'm going to be a trail steward and um you know there was this great lenape indian display and just a little plaque, you know, what's in a name. And there are literally 60 names of towns in New Jersey that are named after the Lenape's. So it's like, they're just trying to create safe spaces for, for us. It's just an extension of, uh, uh, of the classroom. It's, it's ridiculous. You know, uh, well, well said, Doug, and,
1: and thank you. And you know what I think is also at play here and, uh, if you want to comment. 800-848-9222. What I think is also at play here is pandering politicians. You have pandering politicians that are willing to kowtow to any group that they perceive to have any sort of power, particularly any group that's been historically underrepresented, which American Indians absolutely have, and in an effort to pander to them... And pander to what they perceive to be their interests, they're willing to sacrifice the good of the community as a whole, which includes the American Indian community. I just, I think this is just atrocious. You know what I'd love? I'd love to hear from anyone on this who actually is of American Indian descent, because I'm sure you have an interesting perspective. 800 848 9222. Tom is in New Jersey. Hi, Tom.
4: Hello, sir. Hey, look, it's great to talk to you. Sorry, I couldn't make the, your thing. I, I I've got three quick things. Number n- number one, the Finkelstein thing, terrible, terrible. Number two, the uh, the the Museum of Natural History. You know what? They could have removed all all the uh, the the parts of the statue out front that they didn't like, and they could have left Teddy. I mean, I mean Teddy Roosevelt was the reason the museum was That's there. That's right. That's to right. Remove his statue. The removal statue is just deplorable. Third, and my favorite part is that that Groundhog Day is one of my favorite movies of all time. And and what to me makes the movie really great is that aside from the 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 the, uh, the central characters, you through the movie got to meet all of the peripheral characters mm. again and you 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 got to be came, become in love with them and know their story that's what made it so special because because ned i i i got to know ned i mean i know I know who he is. And you never get that in a movie. You how, never about, how about the, the
1: homeless the, 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 guy, right? How about the homeless oh, guy yeah, who you yeah, go yeah. Um, to your point? You you view this as a guy that's just a side character, that's almost a background character to um, really feeling for this guy and being very emotionally attached to him.
4: No, in most movies you see him once and it's gone. Here you get you get you get to de- develop a, a relationship with all of these characters. And and so now they now they have to. And also, it's very it, 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 it credit to the people who wrote this movie, because because they, they now have to develop like 30 or, or 15 characters right for for, for for you to like, where normally it's only two or three characters they have to worry about. But so to me, the movie just it just it just it just I, I watch I, I, can, I can never stop watching it. If it's on, I watch it every time. I, I am I'm a devotee of it, and, and Bill Murray just, uh, I think he did a fantastic job. Oh, that. well, no, I
1: completely agree, and you could bet it's going to be on quite a bit today. And it's interesting that you mentioned Ned Ryerson. As I understand it, of the eight different commercials that Frito-Lay has created to air today, yeah. um, at least one of them features prominently the actor that played Ned Ryerson. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing that. should be a lot of fun. No, no.
4: I am, am too, and you in the future.
1: Yeah, thank you, Tom. Appreciate that. You know, I've met Tom, as he indicated. I didn't realize that was the Tom that I know. But a lot of people believe that Tom actually looks a lot like Harold Ramis, who wrote and produced Groundhog Day. Harold Ramis, unfortunately, passed away, played Egon in Ghostbusters. But, you know, did he pass away? Here you have Tom, who's a dead ringer for Harold Ramis, calling into a radio show to talk about how much he likes a Harold Ramis movie. Interesting. Interesting. Is this John Burroughs and Elvis Presley all over again? Did Harold Ramis actually fake his own death? Is he now leading an assumed life as Tom from New Jersey? I don't know. Just putting it out there. 800-848-9222. 800-848-9222. Al is in New York. What's on your mind, Al?
7: Good Frank. He's mostly alive, mostly alive. Listen, as far as the Amer- American Museum of Natural History, they have a lot, a lot of kind of shady, dark uh, things that they've done over the course of 100 years. I mean, it's a lovely museum. But uh, did you ever see the meteorite when you, when you walk in there? There's this huge, it's this signature piece. Huge iron. I'm sure uh, I did.
1: You know, when I went there last, I was so focused on not getting stopped because I've been banned that I kind of shuffled my way right in. I'm sure I walked past it, but I I don't, I don't, I can't picture it at the moment.
7: You got to sneak in backwards. uh, The the rear entrance, you go slowly backwards. I'll never know that you're coming in. (laughs) Well, what happened was it was called the Cape York meteorite. And in 1897, uh, Robert Perry was working for the museum was able to get that meteorite out of Greenland. But it was so damn heavy, he had to convince about 10 Inuit uh, Eskimos to help him load it on the boat. They brought it to the Brooklyn Navy Yard. took so long to try to get it up to the Upper West Side. Well, wow. Did. But to get that thing there, they promised the 10 natives, listen, we'll take care of you for a year, we'll feed you, and on the next expedition, you're all going back, you see your families. Within a year, they were all wiped out except for one, like, eight-year-old boy who kept crying, uh, Where's my daddy? Where's my daddy? What they ended up doing was they took those bodies and did every kind of study on them, their brains, this so or that, never telling that everybody had perished. And when the boy finally found out, uh, guess what? Uh, they told him that uh, there was no bones or anything like that because he wanted to repatriate. Because then somebody finally told them, it was Robert Perry's family or somebody, said, listen, they're holding it. So he was so distraught. He had been going to New Hampshire. At 18, he died. Some kind of a, you know, the, oh, he died with the influenza of 1918. So that they got blood on their hands because for 100 plus years, none of those bones were ever released where they could be repatriated with the Greenland people. You know, I mean, that's just that and many, many other things. Lovely museum, no, no doubt about it. But, like they say, when you make an omelet, you've got to break eggs. And they sure did there. Have a great uh, day. Great show. Thanks Thank for... you, Al.
1: Appreciate that. Hey, uh, this is one of those Frito Lay commercials that's airing today. Um, and if you, you know, they, they paid, I'm sure, a lot of money. And this is very clever on this part. I don't know why they didn't do it last year for the 30th anniversary. There are eight different commercials. Here's one. <laughs>
2: Here we go again. Trouble? Oh, the store just won't close. Ooh, looky who's got lays. Man, those perfectly seasoned little slices of sunshine (laughs) sure do keep me coming back. You said it. And I'll say it again. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of
3: clever.
1: Misses a little something not seeing the visuals. Let's play one more of the versions of the uh, Frito commercial that they're going to play today.
2: Here we go again. Trouble? Oh. This drawer just won't close. Ooh, looky who's got Lay's. Man, those little Lay's barbecuties do keep me coming back.
3: (laughs) You said that already.
2: And I'll say it again. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Well, that's that's
1: pretty clever. Not bad, not bad. It's good to see Ned Ryerson still getting some, uh, some work. All right, um... Those of you that are holding, we'll try and get to you, but first, Nome Laden is here and he's got a lot to say. The least you can do is listen
0: straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.
1: 20 minutes until the top of the hour. This is Coldplay, Sky Full of Stars. Uh, This is a uh, birthday bumper music selection from Phil Maravolo, an old friend of mine. His birthday was actually yesterday. Happy birthday, Phil. We didn't get to celebrate it yesterday. So he's forced to share it with a groundhog, as is the case today. And if uh, if Ferdinand Marcos was uh, going to a Coldplay concert to see them before that song, you can bet he would take a presidential helicopter so that he would never, ever wait in Chris Christie-style traffic. Someone uh, that does not have his own helicopter, although if they assign them based on merits as a broadcaster he would, has just walked into the studio.
6: Stand by for the other side of midnight's news.
0: From New York City, the other side of and its affiliated stations present National and International News with Frank Morano and News Director Noam Laden. Their summary of the world news and personal comments. Get the rest of the story.
1: Alright, Noam handles the summary of the world news. I handle the personal comment and sometimes it's very personal. What do you have for us, Noam? Fr- uh, Frank,
6: uh, French high wire artist Philippe Petit. Oh boy remember him yes I do he he walked um, along a high wire with
1: the twin towers right almost you know 40 50 years ago
6: 1974 Wow. He put that wire across the World Trade Center towers and walked across it and then was arrested when he made it to the other side. He had not gotten the uh, officials to approve it. Everybody staring at the sky was one of those great New York City moments. If you were there, I'm sure no doubt you probably remember it. And I had interviewed him a few times over the years. And last week he invited me to see his latest high wire act. Now, okay, 1974, he crossed the World Trade Center's. Uh, Now he's 74 years old, so he wants to continue to break the record for the oldest man to cross a high wire. So last night it was um, at the Church of St. John the Divine, which is up on 113th Street, and he had a wire cross the top of the chapel, and there was an art exhibit of ribbons—ribbons hanging down from the ceiling— and he took his uh, what do you call that? The floating bar that they hold on to, you know, I don't know what it's called. you know that bar. Yeah, they I hold know on the bar. that helps him keep it. their right, bounce. Right, right, right. And it was one of the more thrilling and exhilarating and frightening moments to watch because there oh, he so you was. Went,
1: do you went down there? Yeah, they invited wow. me, and
6: I said, "Hey, let me go see. I'll, I'll, you know, lose a little sleep to go watch this because he's setting essentially a world record no as doubt. the oldest man to cross a wire with no net." And there he was, and he went through this uh, sea of ribbons that kept hitting his head and blinding him for moments, and he made it all the way across God bless him. Congratulations. So it was a fantastic moment. Afterwards, uh, uh, during—I'll do a little tease. If you listen to my news hour here on 77 WABC, you can hear it on the app— I'll play his reaction afterwards. Cool. Yeah, we got oh, that, some reaction from him. That's so. worth
1: checking out. Uh, by the way, people listening around the country, you can hear Gnome in about 20 minutes uh, on
6: WABCradio.com. Last, uh, you were talking about Groundhog Day. Yes. Everybody's trying to cash in on this. Right. Everybody. Every town. Well, Staten Island, Chuck, where you're from, no of doubt. course. Uh, in Milltown, New Jersey, it's Milltown Mel. Yeah, have you heard of Milltown No, Mel? I've heard of There's Malvern s- Mel. So many of these guys. There. So, Milltown Mel is in Milltown, New Jersey, a groundhog who also decides whether it's going to be spring or not, or an early spring or not. Uh, he died, Milltown Mel, and they've been trying to find a replacement. Where was Bill de
1: Blasio at the time? Well,
6: yeah, funny you should say that. Uh, he had nothing to do with this one. Milltown Mel died of natural causes, and. Um, Who knew that it's so incredibly tough to get a groundhog? So they thought, okay, let's search for a groundhog. And they had to go across state lines to find one and and – Each time they thought they had one, they could buy one from a farm somewhere, something would happen that would uh, the sale just didn't go through. So then they found somebody down south who was willing to sell them a groundhog. And um, there's such an issue with rabies down south now that they didn't want to bring the groundhog up here for fear that uh, somehow it would spread rabies. So Milltown Mel, who normally will tell you whether it's an early spring or not, will not do that this year because there is no Milltown Mel.
1: What are the people going to do in terms of knowing how to prepare
6: for the spring? they do have Staten Island, Chuck, as you referred to out on Staten Island, who uh, bit Mayor Bloomberg one year when Mayor Bloomberg was at that ceremony to watch it. Right. 2009,
1: I think that was. And
6: then you had Mayor de Blasio, who was holding uh, Staten Island, Chuck, and dropped him. And then a week later, he died.
1: And they covered it up.
6: It was a massive cover up. It was was a
1: big scandal.
6: It was. It's amazing. It was a huge scandal. They and he didn't want it pinned on him and he still doesn't believe that it was his fault, by the way. No,
1: I think he has backed off that a little bit. You know, he did this interview with New York magazine where And I think he's right about this, that it's crazy to have politicians handling, you know, wild rodents. Why are politicians ever tasked with handling these groundhogs? They should leave them to professional, you know, animal keepers.
6: You should go watch the video of Mayor Bloomberg handling Staten Island. Chuck, he looks so incredibly uncomfortable and then he gets bitten. And uh, then it's all over from there. Every town, I mean, not every town, but so many towns have these events now because they want to cash in on the tourism dollars. Uh, up in uh, the Hudson Valley in New York today, they will have a uh, Clucksatani Henrietta, who's a chicken. Oh! Yes.
1: That's interesting.
6: Yeah, now if she lays an egg, then uh, spring will come early. If she doesn't lay an egg, they'll all wait for this moment, uh, this morning, if she doesn't lay an egg then we have six more weeks of winter.
1: Got it. All right. Well, it's going to be very interesting. And, uh, well, best of luck to all the groundhogs. I'm not convinced of their accuracy in terms of weather predictions. We went through a whole bunch of animals yesterday that have a much better track record of predicting the weather right. than these groundhogs do. I mean, nothing against them. It's, it's But I think we should view this as what it is, kind of just a fun ceremonial holiday. And people shouldn't necessarily be packing up their winter clothes based on the say-so.
6: Of punks Phil. Yeah, I'm not sure that anybody's ever actually been packing up their clothes based on the will of a groundhog. That's just me. My
1: neighbor Nick, when when the groundhog, you know, predicted an early spring last year, every day for the rest of the year,
6: shorts. (laughs) From (laughs) that point on, was wearing shorts outside. (laughs) Right, good for him. Yeah. Are you one of this crew? uh, Well, do you own your house?
1: I mean with a mortgage, but yes. But
6: you bought your house. Well, what has happened, of course, and you've no doubt have noticed across the nation, it's become just almost impossible to get a mortgage, to find a house, especially in some big cities and areas. It's just too expensive. People don't have, they have college loans, uh, they have all kinds of payments that get in the way of home ownership. And we've seen home ownership go way down over the last couple of decades. You know, it seems like each future generation has a harder time getting a home than the previous one. So Amazon wants to fix that. Oh, boy. And they've created a prefab home, and this has become quite the rage. Now, they wouldn't tell me how many of these they sold, which makes me think it's not in the thousands, but uh, I did get a communication with a guy named Jeffrey Bryant who scored one of these 16-by-20-foot shelters, and it does come complete with a kitchenette, a living room, a bedroom, and a bathroom. And... He told me that he could not believe how easy it was to set this up. So he bought it online. These two huge crates show up at his house uh, just a few days later because he has Prime, right? So Naturally. he's able to get yep. that. And uh, he sets up this house, and he, it's a, you know it looks almost like a trailer, but maybe nicer. And he said, this is great. Now, he's not going to live it. He already owns a house. He's going to use it as an Airbnb. Um, but he says— It was – he had two or three guys that helped him set it up within a number of hours. The house was completely set up. Now, you have to – it takes a little longer to set up the water and that kind of thing. And he said he didn't realize that until afterwards. But he said essentially if you want a house and you can find a piece of property, a land that's empty, this will cost you about $30,000. He said it cost him a, a little bit more to get people to come in to set up the plumbing. But when all said and done, he said, I've spent about $40,000 setting up this prefab home.
1: I'm looking at some of the uh, photos online. Uh, I could live in one of these, especially as a single person. Yeah. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, this is great. If this helps people, you know, there's always been talk of using these tiny homes, not necessarily these uh, prefab Amazon homes, but for uh, people like homeless veterans or even the migrants that are coming here at a rate that's much faster than anybody can house them. Uh, All right. You know, I've been critical of Amazon, but if uh, they can get more affordable shelter for more people, we'll see what happens. I'm also very interested to see where... 3D printed homes go in the uh, near future because yeah. evidently there are 3D printed homes that are just as functional as the old fashioned homes and they can be made at a fraction of the of the, of the the cost. So I'm eager to see where that goes and as well in the future. a shorter time for that. Right. Matter. Exactly. Yeah.
6: yeah. So it's amazing. So we'll, we'll, I'll keep in contact with this guy just to see how he does with the Airbnb. I will say this. The manufacturer would not give me numbers, which I thought was interesting so maybe it's a few hundred they've sold, but Whatever it is, they're getting the buzz that a $30,000 house is out there. We should get one for Curtis just to keep here because he's always
1: sleeping here anyway. And he's always perpetually in the way of, uh, right. of somebody. Why not? Just get get him one, put it outside, you know. He'd, nice. he'd, he'd be fine. All right. Thank you, No, Sure.
6: And now you know the rest of the story.
1: So I was listening to Noam talk with uh, another co-worker the other day. And he's telling him, you know, the co-worker's making small talk. And uh, he's telling him, well, you know, I, uh, I've had this cough or this cold. I don't remember what he said, cough or cold, that hasn't gone away for three weeks. Okay. Then, meantime, Matt plays uh, as um, we're doing our customary 40 to 60 seconds of uh, small talk before I leave yesterday. Fe- I mean, you may not think that's a lot, but trust me, it feels like 20 minutes. Uh, I say, Oh, how are you? And he says, Oh, I'm you know, still some sick. I got this cough. And uh, now I'm thinking, okay, it's been two weeks since you were out sick with something, and you're still experiencing some symptoms. Okay. Then my wife, when I came when I woke up yesterday afternoon, she's still coughing. She's blowing her nose like crazy, and she's telling me I've had a cold or something. For three weeks, I'm still coughing. Now she got a COVID test; it wasn't COVID. She got she went to an urgent care, and they thought it might have been strep. She took a strep test, and they even prescribed to the antibiotic because they thought it was strep. wasn't strep. Then they uh, they tested her for influenza; wasn't the flu. Really, I don't know what it is, but her mucus is still showing a color as if it's infected, and she's blown her nose more than any, more than ever. Um, my mom who I was with yesterday, same deal. For three weeks in a row, she has had this uh, pers- uh, you know, persistent cough and cold. Runny nose, cough, same thing that Dome has, same thing my wife has. I, uh, I've been keeping my distance from Matt plays because of the full cocktail of maladies that he's been experiencing, so I can't speak to his symptoms firsthand. But it definitely seems like, at least in my area, there is something that is going around, and I feel bad for my wife because we had plans tonight. We're going to uh, we we're going to go to uh, a close friend's 40th birthday party, and it's at this really cool place. Um, I don't want to say where it is because I don't want to ruin their reputation, but. Well, I've never been there. I've read about it. You know, it's the kind of place that you read about because of the types of people that go there. And it's the kind of place and the kind of party, given who's going to be attending, that I know my wife would have a good time. And so we were looking forward to going. And it's one of my closer friends. In fact, it's the fellow that invited me to the Super Bowl. And I, um, I she said, look, if I feel this bad tomorrow, I'm not going. You're going to have to go by yourself or or find a, um, you know, a replacement. So, I, I mean, which... I have no problem going to a party by myself or getting a, you know, a substitute wife for the evening. But I just feel bad that she's experiencing this thing. And I am wondering, maybe you're going to think I'm crazy, but I think having everybody locked up for a year and masked and not interacting with everybody. And I know it's two or three years ago, three years ago, really. Actually, no, it's close to four years ago. I really think that that wreaked havoc on everybody's immune system. I really do. And you know know what? Part of the reason that I base that on is, do you know how many days I worked from home during COVID? Zero. Zero. I think um, I had a COVID exposure, and they had me do the show from home one day. Other than that, I came in every single day during COVID, not only at this company, but at the previous company that I worked at. And I think maybe because I've had more exposure to germs and things of that nature. Now it could be also because I'm vaccinated and everything else, but that doesn't, it doesn't have anything necessarily to do with COVID. I think maybe my immune system was doing what it always does and fighting off these germs and things like that. And a lot of these other folks, my mom, my wife. Um, you know, gnome, because a lot of them weren't getting exposed to those germs, something that might have been a one or two day colder infection has really thrown them for a loop. I'm curious if anybody else has experienced this. Uh, we're going to do 15 seconds of fame in a moment. You know, if you have insight onto the into this, I know we're out of time here, but if you have insight into this, email me. Frank.morano at redappelaudio networks.com. That's Frank.mo orano at Red Apple Audio Fifteen Seconds of Fame where you get to comment on whenever you like for 15 seconds, 800 848 9222 Straight ahead.
0: The other side of midnight. side at midnight with Frank Morano.
1: So, I'm getting all these messages on Facebook and uh, via text of people all saying the same thing that they've experienced what I'll call long cold. You've heard of long COVID. These people are experiencing long cold. Paul Gambino, cough for 3 weeks. Uh, Joe from Ronkonkoma, not only him but his children, cough for 3 weeks. I don't think this is normal now. Maybe it is, but I think this is there's something going on here where people are expe- experiencing long cold. I don't know what the cause is, but there's something something going on out there. Be careful. All right. Without further ado,
0: the other side of midnight. This is fifteen seconds of fame. fame. Raji.
4: Rumors arise that anti-Iran foreign agents in Iraq were responsible for the three deaths in Jordan. The agents used Iranian-made weapons to implicate I- uh, Iran uh, and... Charlie! Uh, during the denunciations portion of the program, you should have denounced Charles Lindbergh. He is a virulent anti-Semite and a tacit supporter of Adolf Hitler.
1: Glenn!
7: I never learned more than I did when I went to the Museum of Natural History when I was 10 years old. And to take that away uh, about that Indian stuff, to take that away, I mean, it's ridiculous.
2: Jean. Regarding the Charles Lindbergh family, my mother loved a small volume by Anne Morrow Lindbergh. It was one of her favorite books, and she didn't have that many books. Lisa. Okay, so I'm going to send a helicopter to your house, and I'm going to drop off 1,200 milligrams of mucinex. (laughs) Anytime that I had like, an upper respiratory infection or whatever, when I was um, sick on tour and this and that, you take 1,200 milligrams of that, with a lingering cough, and it knocks
1: it out. All right, we're going to have to end it there. David, Joey, Sam, Russ, I'm sorry we didn't get to you. Uh, Call Monday. We'll have more time, and uh, we'll try and get to you first. Have a great weekend, everybody. God willing, I'll be back on Monday. Frank Morano, good day.